I am a woman of no distinction, of little importance. I am a woman of no reputation, save that which is bad. You whisper as I pass by and cast judgmental glances, though you don't really take the time to look at me or even get to know me. For to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. And otherwise, what's the point of doing either one in the first place? Well, I want to be known. I want someone to look at me and not just see two eyes, a nose, a mouth, and two ears, but to see all that I am and could be, all my hopes and my fears and my dreams. But that's too much to wish for, to hope for, to pray for. So I don't. Not anymore. Instead, I keep to myself, and by that I mean the pain that keeps me in my own private jail, the pain that's brought me here midday to this well. To ask for a drink is no big request, but to ask it of me, a woman, unclean, ashamed, used and abused, an outcast, a failure, a disappointment, a sinner, no drink passing from these hands to your lips could ever be refreshing, only condemning, as I'm sure you're condemning me now. But you don't. You're a man of no distinction, though of the utmost importance, a man of little reputation, at least so far. You whisper and you tell me to my face what all those glances have been about. You take the time to really look at me, but you don't need to get to know me, for to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known, and you know me. You actually know me, everything about me, every thought inside, every hair on my head, every hurt stored up, every hope, every dread, my past, my future, all that I am and could be. You tell me everything. You tell me about me. And that which is spoken by another would bring hate and condemnation. But coming from you brings love, grace, mercy, and salvation. I've heard of one to come who would save a wretch like me. And now in my presence you say I am he. For to be known is to be loved and to be loved is to be known. And I just met you, but I love you. I don't know you, but I want to get to. Let me run back to town. This is way too much for just me. There are others. There are brothers and sisters and lovers and haters, the good and the bad, the sinners and the saints who should hear what you told me, who should see what you've shown me, who should taste what you gave me, who should feel how you forgave me. For to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. And we all need this. We all need this for our own. Thank you, Leanne. That was good. That was really good. Well, welcome to Quest. My name is Jeremy Shelley. As uh, Ross said, I'm the youth pastor here, and uh, I'm excited to be able to preach this morning. Uh, it's a privilege um, uh, for a lot of reasons. As a youth pastor, I get to say a lot of things that um, Ross can't say, and then I get to walk away and not have to deal with all the stuff. He gets the emails, and and uh, you know I'm like free and clear. It's great. Um, so uh, I might I might rattle your cage today. No, I'm not going to. But um, no, I, I'm I'm really excited to be here. 
some of you probably don't know who I am, and uh, and so I'm going to just share a little bit about uh, myself, um, because you probably think, okay, youth pastor, what does he do all day? He just like sits around and plays video games, and you know, plays ultimate frisbee with the youth, and all that kind of stuff. Well, I, I do a lot of that. That's true. Um, that's why I'm in such wonderful fit, physical shape. Um, I'm in a shape anyway, um, but. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, let me let me just I'll show you a little bit about my daily life. What what I do uh, when I get home and I'm hanging out with my wife and my son. Uh, one of the things that I really love the most is uh, reality TV. I do. I absolutely love reality TV. It's it's like this wonderful space where we can uh, watch people interact with each other and uh, in in all these kinds of crazy situations. And and I'll admit it. I even cast just a little bit of judgment on them as they make their wild and crazy decisions. Some of my, my favorite shows are Celebrity Apprentice. How many of you watch Celebrity Apprentice? You can raise your hands. Yeah, I want to know. Um, I, I don't want Donald to run for president, uh, but I do think it's a great show. Another show I love is uh, Teen Mom. Awesome show, but it's more for research as a youth pastor, you know, kind of figuring out, okay, i got to teach these girls not to do this stuff. Uh, and then my favorite show on TV right now is Intervention. It's just... A, Bar none, one of the greatest shows. Um, if uh, you're not a fan of, of reality TV, I understand. And by the way, I don't mean those of you who say, no, I don't want to watch reality TV, but secretly you do, you love it. Um, I, I mean, I know people who do that. Uh, if you're not a fan of reality TV, the reason that it's so popular uh, is that it gives the viewer an opportunity to experience something they may never get to. Uh, you know, it's like what it might be like to be in the music industry or to be a chef or um, maybe even to be in the mob, if that's like what's something you want to do. Uh, it's, it's intriguing. It's full of drama. And it's so successful uh, because really truth is stranger than fiction. Um, reality TV scratches an itch in our culture that feels so good. And you cannot flip through the TV stations at almost any given time of the day without bumping into two or three of these shows. I'm serious. Saturday morning, this Saturday morning, I was was watching TV at 7 a.m., and there were three reality TV shows on, even at that time. I mean, they're they're everywhere. There's tons of them. You've got, like, American Idol, Dancing with the Stars, The Voice, Real Housewives of Name Any City in the United States, uh, Mob Wives, Storage Wars, Pawn Stars, House Hunters, Survivor, Extreme House Makeover, The Real World. They're everywhere. Now, many of you probably knew, I like audience participation. I like to know if you're with me. And and, uh, so, by the way, during my message, if you want to talk and shout at me and all that kind of stuff, that's fine. The students do it. I'm used to it. Um, But here's the first piece of participation. Um, I want to know, if you watch reality TV, I want you to raise your hand, just so I know who I'm talking to. Yeah, that's good. Okay. A lot of us. Yeah, it's true. We we do. And um, the reality is, I mean, just like me, most of us, uh, you guys like to indulge yourself in the occasional reality series. And they're tremendously popular. And even though we don't want to admit it, we do love them. We love them because we like to watch other people. We like to see how they interact with each other, how they handle certain situations. It's entertaining and ultimately, it's safe. <laughs> you know, we can peer into the lives without having to get to the very nitty-gritty parts of their lives. You know, we can, we can look on them from afar and make our own judgments without having to interact with the people, right? I mean, it's safe for us. Uh, for me, 
I don't think there's a more intriguing show on TV right now than Intervention. Uh, I love it because it it shows people struggling with with real things. It's mothers and daughters and fathers and sons fighting for uh, life and relationship. It's raw, uh, and, and there's really not anything that you don't get to vicariously experience on this show. You see the pain, the terrible decisions, the consequences from those decisions, but... When you've had enough, you can turn off that TV, get up off your sofa, and quit watching and interacting with those people in their messed up lives. It's safe. It's protected. It's, it's the way that I really want to live my life, especially now that I have a family. You know, I don't want my wife or my son exposed to that kind of stuff. I, I, I want to protect them from all of that. Isn't that really how most of us live? You know, when, when we're younger and the stakes aren't quite as high, you know, we're willing to risk a whole lot more, right? But then as we get deeper into our lives, you know, with uh, mortgages and car payments and spouses and children, th- then all of a sudden we lose some of that desire to risk, that ability to risk. You know, we don't want to risk because um, at work we don't risk because we're afraid we're going to lose our jobs. Or, or in relationships we don't want to risk because, you know, we're afraid we're going to get hurt or be embarrassed. We don't want to risk uh, because we know there's so much more on the line and we don't want to lose it. So instead, we sit back in our comfy chairs and watch other people live and risk. We keep our world safe and protected and insulated. And I think this kind of behavior, it bleeds over into our life of faith. Now, how often do we pray for safety? Now, I'm not suggesting that's a bad prayer. Just just think about it. How often do we pray for that safety and blessing? What I wonder, though, is, is this desire to be safe, to be insulated in our faith, is it actually robbing us from the full life that God wants for us? Is it possible that our need for structure to stay within the bounds of religion, to know all the answers before we step out in faith, to want standards in place, that will keep us right. Is it possible that these guidelines are actually keeping us from a real understanding of God and relationship with Him? I don't know. But I do know that for me, life with Jesus used to be riskier. It used to be less planned out, less protected. And I know that I used to experience Him so differently back then. Well, I want to consider... Uh, just for a minute, the ministry of Jesus. Uh, his ministry was marked with disregard for religious norms of the day. You can see it through all of Scripture where Jesus challenged those norms. But, but in John 4, I think we get a picture of just what Jesus was truly willing to challenge and why. This is the story that Leanne portrayed so well for us uh, in the drama. So if you'll read along with me, um, John 4, verses 3 and following, Uh, And then picking up in verse 39 through 42, the words are going to be here on the screen. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground where Jacob had uh, given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, "'Will you give me a drink?' His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. 
Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself and also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman. But no one asked, What do you want or or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see you in this text. Help us to see the real you beyond our expectations, beyond our understandings, and beyond the man-made rules that you have for us, Lord. Illuminate our minds. Amen. Now, this is a difficult text to talk about. It's easily one of the better-known stories in the Bible. In fact, uh, some have suggested that besides the story of Nicodemus, which is famous uh, mostly because John 3.16 is couched within it. This story of the woman at the well is the next best known story in all of the Gospels. Uh, but the significance of this story is really found in the context. You know, ultimately, we find that Jesus' ministry was not bound by, the regulation, by regulations or rules. In fact, a, a Jew reading this text in 2nd century AD would have been baffled and frustrated with this story. From the outset, it pushes the boundaries of acceptable Jewish behavior, which we don't understand because we're not a second century Jew, right? But you can almost imagine that second century Jew peering into the life of Jesus similar to the way that we watch reality TV. You you know, with the same intrigue, with the same judgment, and ultimately in safety. You you can almost hear them saying, that guy is an idiot. idiot. What, What does he think he's doing? See, according to the man-made rules of the day, for a Jew to travel uh, from Galilee through Samaria, that was completely unheard of. The Jews had a designated route all the way around Samaria because they thought that the Samaritans were a disgusting race and that even looking at a Samaritan would cause a Jew to be unclean. So the Jews would walk seven hours, nearly a full day of travel, out of their way to avoid contact with a Samaritan. But... Here we have Jesus taking the direct route through Samaria. For a little context, uh, I've provided this short video just to show you what, what our equivalent might be like. Here, watch the screens. 
It's true, like a seven-hour trip out of our way. In a car, it would be like us avoiding Mansfield, Ohio, on our way to Cleveland by going through Pittsburgh. I mean, you've got to hate someone from Mansfield to go that far out of your way to to avoid them, right? I mean, that's quite a statement, right? You know, I, I, I no, I don't want to be around you. I'm driving all the way to Pittsburgh. Who wants to go to Pittsburgh? I'm going to drive all the way to Pittsburgh to get to Cleveland. I, I Forget Mansfield. But... But this is exactly what the Jews did as their regular practice when they were traveling from Jerusalem to Galilee. They would go all the way out of their way. I mean, it it just seems absurd. But Jesus was saying that part of the religious tradition, avoiding the Samaritans, that is not from God. That's not from Elohim, Yahweh, Adonai. And in fact, that's in direct opposition to who God is. Now, Now hear me. Jesus wasn't afraid to show us what faith in God really looked like. For him, it wasn't about breaking rules, okay? Instead, it was demonstrating what it meant to follow God. And I'll be honest with you, I think we get this wrong a lot. Some of us, and I include myself in this category, a lot of times we want to see Jesus as a rebel, you know? But that's not what this is about. It's really about following the principles of God, Jesus, uh, he's not done here just by tackling the traditions of travel. Uh, He has so much more to show us about following God. So we pick up the story at noon, and Jesus is thirsty, and he's hungry, so he sends his disciples off to the town to get some food, and he goes to the well so he can get a drink. Now, once again, the meat of this story is really found in the context, because it's significant that Jesus went through Samaria on his way to Galilee. It's significant that Jesus is at the well at noon. And it's significant that the woman that he meets is also there at the well at noon. It's significant how Jesus interacts with this woman. See, a Jewish reader would be appalled by this text. I imagine that, that hearing this story might actually make their skin crawl. I mentioned uh, the uh, reality series intervention earlier. Have any of you guys seen that? Show of hands, you can, yeah, some, you know what I'm talking about. Well, for those of y'all who don't, it, it's really a show that documents an individual's addiction to drugs or alcohol all the way through to their intervention. Now, I watch that show and I cringe. I mean, it, it's like the, the images are, are really hard to see because they're icky. You know, they're dirty. They show the life of an individual that doesn't care about themselves. And you look at them and you're thankful that you're not that way that you're not that dirty, that that in comparison, you're clean. Now, I think a Jewish reader would have a similar experience after hearing this story. The elements build upon each other in a way that would make a Jew feel grimy. Now, how could a man, they would say, a religious leader talk to a Samaritan? A Samaritan woman at that. And to add another ick factor, this woman was known to be an outcast. I mean, she's alone at the well drawing water, and we know she's an outcast because normally a person would draw their water at the beginning of the day or at the end when it's cooler, when there's other people around to help out and to provide company. See, we know just from the context of this story that this woman really didn't have any friends, no no female friends anyway. She, she was a triple threat to the cleanliness of Jesus, 
to the cleanliness of a Jew. She was a Samaritan, she was a woman, and she was a known sinner. And Jesus chose to sit down with her, to talk with her, to ask her for a drink of water. He spent time with her. He paid no attention to the religious rules that said she, that, that he shouldn't be going to this place or associating with this person. And this confused even Jesus' disciples. They couldn't figure out why Jesus was talking to this woman and, and, and that he actually considered taking a drink from her, from her own cup. Ooh, cooties, you know, like, oh, don't touch her. What does Jesus really have to gain by this? Nothing. In fact, he's ruining his reputation among the Jews. But the exception is, is that he's living out his purpose the way that he knows that he should be. And this is really the lesson that Jesus teaches his believers here. Rules should not limit our purpose. Regulations are not to, are not meant to keep us from getting into relationships. I mean, how many things, how many current religious laws keep us from following Jesus the way that he wants us to be following them? Now, I imagine that most of us can associate with the woman at the well on some level. You know, we're all sinners. You know, it feels awkward to walk into a church knowing what we've done. The truth is that most of us would rather avoid coming to church and face the people that we consider righteous, right? And we don't want to come in here knowing what we did Saturday night. Maybe, maybe we walk into the church and we look at a pastor on stage and we think exactly what this woman thought. Why would you, a pastor, uh, even want to talk to me? And the reality is, the truth is, that, that many pastors like me can be judgmental. We embody this religious stigma. It's hard to break down the walls that separate us. Not because a pastor is better or holier, but because like the Pharisees, we've cloaked ourselves in these rules that insulate us from getting our hands dirty among the people that we call sinners. I mean, have you ever seen that? Have you ever experienced that? But this isn't the way it should be because the truth is, with the exception of Jesus, there has been no holy man, no pastor, no teacher, no rabbi, no reverend, no right reverend who is without sin. We're all sinners. We're all equal. We're all flawed, searching for what it means to know Jesus and in, in knowing him we're loved, right? You know, Paul tells us that no man is perfect. All of us have sinned and all of us fall short of the glory of God. How many times, though, have you seen people in a position of religious authority get this messed up and shun those who, just like everyone else, really needs to be loved by Jesus? How many times have you felt shunned? Shunned because of some religious leader or religious set of rules. It doesn't feel good. I used to work for another church in Texas where I saw this happen. Uh, I was a young youth pastor. Uh, that was interested in sharing Jesus with as many people as I could. And most of the teenagers there uh, at this church were surfers and skaters. And, and so I decided I'm going to spend all of my time on the beach building relationships uh, with these kids. Now, I know what you're thinking. No wonder Jeremy wanted to leave the beach because his job was so hard. Move here to Ohio. Get rid of that. I'm sure that... No, I, I, honestly, I was suffering for Jesus there on the beach with a tan... It's a great, great job. Seriously, though, um, I love this job, too. I, you know, there's just no beach. Um, 
<laughs> but I, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord work in some very powerful ways. And some of these kids, they started taking me up on my invitation to come to church. And, and over time, I saw them surrendering their lives to Jesus. And, and, and it, was, it was really cool because on any given Sunday, you could look around the church and you'd see these like a couple dozen kids who had clearly just left the beach, just finished surfing to come to church to worship God. It was awesome. It was so cool. I was amazed. And, you know, after a couple of months of seeing these kids come to know the Lord, the senior pastor approached me and said, uh, the deacons at church, um, they want you to stop inviting these kids to come to church. Because we they're not the kind of kids that we want. We want kids that come to church who are Christians, who are nice, who, who um, you know, they, they're not dirty or stinky or sandy from the beach that don't drink or smoke or cuss you know we want good christian kids here and i was like what you know my jaw dropped you know these are the kids these are the reasons um that that i was in that job they were the reason that i wanted to be a youth pastor and and so i tendered my resignation because i didn't want to be a part of a church that created rules that kept people from experiencing the transforming power of jesus it happens. People, people get left out because of how they look, where they come from, who they know, how much money they have. It happens, and it happens everywhere. It, it happens because we're flawed. And we impose judgment and rules on people that are not like us. Because at the end of the day, really, the truth is we want our church to be safe, to be secure, to be clean, to be filled with people that we're familiar with, friends, people like us. And if it's not, then what do we say? Well, I'm just going to go to that church down the road, you know, that has it the way I want it to be, where the music is right, the preacher's never boring, the seats are comfortable, where they don't ask me to give too often, um, where I can come in and have my church experience for a couple of hours and then go home and, and, and be with my friends. And that's enough, nothing more, nothing less. That's what I want. Well, guess what? That's not what Jesus has called us to. If you want to follow Jesus it means that you're going to be uncomfortable. It means that you're going to be challenged in your faith. It means that you might have to get dirty for the gospel and be around people that don't fit into your perfect little picture of what faith in church you feel it should be. Now, I don't want to make you mad. That's not my point here. In fact, more, uh, I can, I'm a youth pastor, so I can shake it up. So if you're mad, deal with it. Just kidding. <laughs> Um, no, but the truth is, uh, more than anything, I want you to feel comforted by this because the reality is the rules that we create to keep us safe and have a perfect church and, and ultimately that, that keep people out, if we're honest with ourselves, those rules would also keep us out. They should keep us out. But those rules of religion, the ones that say you have to look a certain way, attend these meetings, sing at this pitch, read these books, wear these clothes, know these people, they're garbage. And Jesus didn't pay attention to those kinds of rules because he knew that following them didn't matter a bit. All they do is make it harder for someone to have faith and to have community. Those are the kinds of rules that mean that you and I would be excluded from a relationship with Jesus. So maybe we need to ask ourselves, what rules have I created to keep myself safe, to keep my church the way that I want it? What rules actually keep me from living out the purpose that God has for me? What rules do I follow that cause me to go out of my way all the way to Pittsburgh so that I don't have to interact with someone? Where are the nitty-gritty places that you need to go to? 
And who are the nitty-gritty people that you need to know? Who are they in your life that still need to hear the message of Jesus? Now, I, I want you to think of specific names when I ask that question. Who are the people in your life that still need to hear the message of Jesus? I want you to think of specific names because I don't want this to remain nebulous for us. I want it to be concrete. So think of those specific people in your life. See, at Quest, uh, we want to be a place that recognizes that people come from all kinds of different backgrounds. They have all kinds of different experiences. And this is a place where anyone can belong, where you can be a friend with faith and where you can find a friend with faith. But for us to do this, we have to decide to be intentional about letting people in with all of their baggage. And let's get honest, that's scary. That's messy. But that's what Jesus did. And we need to be doing it too. So I'm going to challenge you this morning. And this is going to get risky. I want you to find your Samaria, your nitty-gritty place, and I want you to decide to walk straight through it to the people that you go out of your way to avoid. In your bulletin, uh, there's a card. looks like this. It's got to be loved on the side of it. I'll pull it out. Um, I want you to spend just the next few minutes uh, thinking and praying about who you recognize in your life that needs to be loved. For to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. I want you to write their names on that card, and I want you to commit to pray for them and to seek out opportunities to get to know them, to show them the love of Jesus. And we're, we're coming up on summer and summer's ripe with opportunities uh, to create events designed to get to know others. I mean, it's just a glorious time. And, and so maybe what this means for you as you're praying for these people and praying for ways to, to get to know them and show them the love of Jesus, maybe it means that you decide to host like a backyard barbecue and, and you invite your friends from Quest to enjoy an evening together and you ask these people to join you and to be a part of your event. What I want us to do is I want us to begin to push out what it means to be friends of faith here at Quest. So, so I, I want you to do this. Take this card uh, with the names of the people that, that you'll commit to reach out to. And here's what I want you to do with it. You're going to fill it out today. You're going to pray about it. You're going to think about it. And you're going to take this card and you're going to stick it in a place that you see every single day. Maybe it's your mirror in the bathroom. Maybe it's your steering wheel on your car. And every time you look at it, whenever you're brushing your teeth to be loved, I want you to pray for those people. When you're driving in your car and someone cuts you off and you decide that you're about to cuss them out and you look at your card, no, I'm going to pray for these people instead. That's what I want you to do. I want this to be in front of you every single day so that you see their names and you pray for them. Pray for the opportunities to reach out to them. Pray for them to, to be able to hear the message of Jesus. And, and, and if you don't have enough motivation to do this, what I want you to do is think about your life. Think about what it's like to have a community that you connect to. I mean, how great is that? It's like the, the Samaritan woman who, who finally recognized that everyone in her town needed to hear the same message of Jesus. And at whatever it took for her, whatever cost it was, she was going to go to them and share with them regardless. Don't let these people in your life 
Don't let them experience what it feels like to be shut out, to be left out, to feel inadequate, to be inferior, or, or, or to not be able to come to a place of, of worship where they can experience the love and the power of a God who is the creator of the earth, who just wants to be in relationship with them more than anything else. Give them that experience. Let them have it. And when you have your names in mind and you've written them down in your card, um, I want you to take one more step. I want this to become real today, and I want you to just, this is, this is a serious step of commitment. What I want you to do um, is come up front. The, actually, the band's going to come on, on down and, and just play for us a little bit. But what, I, what I want you to do is, is down here in front, uh, there are some hearts. You'll see them in these three little sections. There are these, these big red hearts, and, and there's some markers uh, right next to it. And what I want you to do is I want you to pick up one of these hearts and I want you to write the first name of, of the people there on your card. And, and here's why I want to do this. Because the, the community of Quest, we, we want to partner with you in praying for your friends. We want to partner with you in helping them to find a place where they can work out their faith. So what we're going to do is we're going to take these, these hearts and we're going to put them up on the wall. Uh, so throughout the summer... Um, we can remember, oh yeah, we need to pray for these people, these people who we normally go out of our way to avoid. We need to pray for them. And then this will also serve as a reminder when you're here on a Sunday morning as you look over there and you say, oh yeah, that's right. Jimmy, John, Tommy, Tim, Sam, Samantha, I had to throw a girl's name in there at some point, um, needs to hear the message of Jesus and I need to go out of my way straight through Samaria to talk to them. See, this is, this is about your friends. This is about your family, your mother, your brother, your neighbor, your boss. This is about helping them to find their way into a loving and caring, a, a caring community. And ultimately into finding a relationship with Jesus. This is about helping them get rescued from religion. So what I want you to do, just when you're ready, when you feel like, yes, I, I'm, I'm going to commit to reaching out to some people. Come on down, grab a heart, write a name on it. Just drop it here at the foot of the cross. We're going to collect them later and put them up there. We're going to collect them and, and put them up on the walls this week. So let's, let's do this, church. Let's, let's partner together to go straight through to Samaria and get to know the people that everyone else in this world wants to avoid. Let's show them what it means to be Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, you are so good. You rescued us um, from the very pit of our lives. When we were flawed, when we were dirty, when we were unwanted, when people didn't want to care for us or reach out to us, you chose to come straight to us and call out to us and, and, and ask us into a relationship. Lord, I thank you so much um, that we were able to say yes, that we chose to say yes. Now, Lord, I pray that you would place on our hearts this desire to push this out even more. To say we want to be friends with faith to the people in our lives who also are flawed and messed up, who the world wants to avoid. And we say no. They need to hear the message of Jesus. They need to experience the love of Jesus. And I'm going to be intentional about showing them what it means to know and experience Jesus. Lord, give us that desire. 
Let us love the way that we have been loved by you. Lord, I pray these things in your name. Amen. Come on down whenever you're ready. Well, church, um, that's actually really cool to see that because that pile of hearts right there at the foot of the cross is a representation of people's lives, people who uh, are going to hear the message of Jesus. And I just, I just want to encourage you as we go today, uh, take this card with you. Don't lose it. Find a place to put it so you can continue just to pray for these people. Pray for them to find their place. Go straight to your Samaria today, church. Thanks for being here.